The children of Israel did not fight God. In fact, they obeyed him. Now, that's very interesting. We're reading from Numbers chapter 5. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the world's best-selling book, It Is the Bible. And as we learn from Numbers chapter 5, in about five minutes, we're going to talk about this and what God actually said to them and what they did. It's going to be very good. Corey? I'm going to be exploring the so-called bread of the presence today. So some of these elements of the tabernacle and the worship of the Israelites. Ryan? Today we read about the Nazarite vow. So in my segment, we're going to be talking about the most famous, or perhaps I should say infamous Nazarite, Samson. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Janice? Today, unclean. Unclean. All right, very good. All of that and more coming your way. Let's open up the Bible, open up the Bible guide, and let's listen to what God is saying. Numbers 5, verses 1 through 10. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, and put them outside the camp. As the Lord spoke to Moses, so the children of Israel did. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it, and give it to the one he has wronged. But if the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest, in addition to the ram of the atonement with which atonement is made for him. Every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his. And every man's holy things shall be his. Whatever any man gives the priest shall be his. Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Numbers chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. That's what we continue to study as we go through the five books of Moses, or Torah, today. That is the law. It becomes very, very important. Lifestyle changes. They're difficult, aren't they? On the one hand, it's almost inconceivable that we would want to stay the same after being redeemed by Jesus Christ. On the other hand, it's hard to change. And living for God requires us to break sin that has become so habitual. It is challenging, let me tell you. But the Holy Spirit is the only way that we can understand the changes that need to be made and then have the power to make them through the Holy Spirit. Now, in the ancient time of the Old Testament, new informing Israel, well, they were commanded to change their lifestyle. 
Now, in our reading today, those who suffered with leprosy were identified and had a specific place to go, not living inside the camp anymore. Now, this was for the purpose of keeping others clean and not spreading this debilitating disease. There should not be taken any comment or worth on their condition. This was simply a statement about sin. Now, this is interesting because there is a way that you could be healed of leprosy and the priests were the one to look at that. So it is the priest who would determine whether or not the person was actually healed from leprosy. Now, this is fascinating as we begin to read it. Take your Bible guide in February and turn to today's passage, Living for Christ. I find this fascinating. Numbers 5, 1 through 10. And uh, you turn to the page, but if you don't have your Bible guide, I really would encourage you to write for yours or call, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. BibleDiscoveryTV.com is an easy way to get it. And you click on the page and it takes you to a donate page. Then you can download it. And when you download it, it looks exactly how we printed it. So it's a wonderful way to get a hold of reading the Bible. Now, the most important book of all is the Bible. But the Bible guide helps you because it's the guide to go through the Bible. And we do that. We've done that for 33 years now. So it's very, very important. Father, help us today as we look at Numbers chapter 5. Help us to, to understand what it means to live for Christ. Because, Lord, these are times when we need to live for Christ. We need to show Jesus Christ has changed our life. And we can't do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name, help us. Help us to see this today. And we said together, amen. Now, let's take a look at the first scripture because this is interesting. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp that they may not defile their camps in the midst of what I, in which I dwell. This is really stunning. The people of God were called as a city or a unique culture. And they were called to make these statements like this. The Lord has made changes in us so that we can live for him today. We should seek him. Now, beloved, keep this in mind. This is, this is an illustration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Today, we confess our sins to God and God sends his Holy Spirit, responds to us, and he heals us and he helps us. Even though we are not perfect people, God has his blood on us. The blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. His blood is on us. And that's really important because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So God has done the work already. Now we need to keep that in our minds. Now let's read on more about this. Numbers chapter five, verse four. Watch this. And the children of Israel, they did so. And they put them outside the camp. As the Lord spoke to Moses, so the children of Israel did. Now, keep in mind, the children of Israel did not fight with God, but they obeyed him. 
There are things we cannot understand, but when we obey God, we learn the consequences of those things. Now, remember, this is thousands of years ago. So we need to keep in mind that they did not understand that we're reading about this today. And we understand what this means today. And so, beloved, we have to keep in mind that we're out of the camp until we come to know Christ and then we're able to come back in because of Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God, fully God, fully man, died on the cross and rose again miraculously. We need to keep that close to us because we need to understand that. These people were going through this at this time to help us see this. Now that There's a whole seminary discussion here about past, present, and future, but nevertheless, keep that in mind. Now, let's go on to the next scripture because this gets important. Numbers 5, verses 5 through 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any sin that men commit in an unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He's confessing it. I have sinned. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it, and give it to the one who he has wronged. But if the man has no relative to whom restitution may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong must go to the Lord for the priest, in addition to the ram of atonement, with which atonement is made for him. Every offspring or every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring to the priest, shall be his." And every man's holy thing shall be his. Whatever any man gives, the priest shall be his. Now, this is important. Listen carefully. The commitment of following Jesus Christ and living holy is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to read this. And I want you to understand it. Lord, help us to understand the commitment of following Jesus Christ and living holy is impossible without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it. We must commit ourselves to a lifestyle of repentance, not pride. Repentance, not pride. So many people are prideful, and that becomes a problem. I remember hearing uh, from somebody in China in the persecuted church, and they went over to pray for them. And the Chinese said, don't pray for us. We want to pray for you. And they prayed that the arrogance of pride would not overcome the church. Boy, that's uh, slightly uncomfortable, isn't it? They're right. We need to make sure that we're not so proud. We can do this. We can do this. Hold on a minute. As Christians... We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. God does everything through us. We need to keep that in mind. Father, I pray today that you would help us to hear this and see this. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today our reading assignment is Numbers chapters 4 to 6. And it's in chapter 6 that we first read about the law of the Nazarite, or the Nazarite vow. Now, there are quite a few Nazarites mentioned throughout the Bible, but probably the most notorious Nazarite was Samson, who ended up breaking all of the Nazarite vows. And so I'm going to be focused on him today. Now, Samson lived in a time during Israel's history when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There were not yet any Jewish kings, but God raised up leaders to judge and deliver his people from the hand of their enemies. Samson was one of these deliverers, and though he was mostly reckless, God was still able to use him. Check it out. Prior to the rule of any Israelite king, when everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes, was born Samson. Even before the womb, God had ordained him to be a judge among his people, and to begin delivering the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines. He was to be a Nazarite, one set apart to God from birth. But his reckless behavior and weakness for women made him seem a very poor choice. At first, everything seemed to be going according to plan. Samson grew, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. But Samson decided to marry a Philistine woman, which aggravated his parents. Yet there was no talking him out of it. This choice set him on a deadly collision course with the Philistines. Deadly for them, deadly for him. Indeed, though Samson's parents were unaware, God was using this opportunity to ultimately bring the Philistines to ruin. It first began to manifest during the seven-day wedding feast. For when Samson discovers that he has been conspired against by his bride and some Philistines over a wager he made, he leaves in a rage. When he returns and finds that his wife has been given over to another man, he burns the Philistines' grain fields, vineyards, and olive groves. When the Philistines return fire and burn his wife and her father, Samson makes a great slaughter of them all. Though Samson returned home, he would soon be arrested by his own people and delivered back to the Philistines. However, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and with nothing more than a donkey's jawbone, he slew a thousand men. Although the Philistines would make another attempt upon Samson during his one-night stay with a harlot in Gaza, he once again escaped. For twenty years, Samson had overpowered and eluded the Philistines. But all of that was about to change. For when they learn of Samson's love for Delilah, they offer her a significant sum of silver if she can discover the secret of Samson's power. After a great deal of enticement, Samson finally breaks down. No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me. Now exposed, Delilah lulls Samson to sleep and has his head shaved. In moments, the angry Philistine mob is upon him, but he is powerless. So he is blinded, shackled, and imprisoned. Yet Samson's divine mission was not yet complete. Indeed, sometime later, when his hair had partially returned, he is brought to the Philistine temple for the entertainment of thousands. But Samson sets himself between two supporting pillars, and in one last prayer he pleads with God, let me die with the Philistines. So he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. You know, a lot of people have a hard time understanding how God could have endorsed Samson's behavior because the account speaks of Samson's marriage to the Philistine woman as if it's actually from God. But Israelites were not to intermarry with outsiders. So what's going on here? Well, I like what Bible scholar Dale Davis says about it. 
He notes that, yes, Yahweh was the one seeking an occasion against the Philistines, but that doesn't mean God condoned everything Samson did or the way that he did it. The sin of Samson must not be attributed to the Lord, but the deliverance of the Israelites by Samson was from the Lord. Remember, he says, scriptural language frequently attributes directly to God what he merely permits. Samson surely was directed by God to seek an occasion against the Philistines and to lead the Israelites in breaking out from under their yoke. But Samson didn't take the time to inquire of the Lord how or in what legitimate ways he might do that. Nor did he seek divine guidance when his parents questioned his seeking a bride among the Philistines. All that mattered was whether he was pleased, whether his choice was right in his own eyes. Little wonder then that he would only begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Perhaps his potential for greatness was cut short by his vices, his partaking too deeply of the cultural appetites of his day. You know, it goes without saying, but let's not be like Samson. Let's seek God's face and inquire of him what he would have us do. And that's really important to hear that because the Bible gives us stories to, and we have to be careful what we take off the stories. We have to put it in context so we understand Mm -hmm. that not everything Samson good was or did was good. Yeah. Uh, but God used it anyway. So as he uses us today, very interesting. For sure. Corey? All right. So today we're going to be taking a look at something that happened every single week in the tabernacle and later in the temple of Solomon and then the second temple with, with uh, Ezra and Herod and all the temples that existed, this happened every single week. And that is the the replacement of the bread of the presence. Let's take a look at it. There's so much to learn here. It's very rich in symbolic meaning. A key element of Israelite worship was the bread of the presence. It was considered one of the three holiest regular actions in Israelite worship. These three holy actions all took place in the sanctuary of the tabernacle and temple, the area closest to the Holy of Holies, and were carried out by the high priest exclusively. These were the lighting of the golden lampstand, the burning of incense on the golden altar, and the replacement of the bread of the presence on the golden table. All these actions represented parts of the covenant that God had with Israel. The bread of the presence symbolized God's provision toward Israel. It was also connected with the Sabbath as a perpetual ordinance. On the Sabbath, the priests switched out the bread of the presence. The week-old bread was then consumed by the priests in the sanctuary, as it had been made holy by being in the presence of God. It's also connected to the manna, or bread from heaven, that God provided for Israel during their time in the wilderness after the Exodus. In Leviticus chapter 24, we learn that each loaf of bread was to be made with two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour. This is the same amount of manna that the Israelites were to collect per person in preparation for their Sabbath in the wilderness. The measurement works out to be around 7 pounds, or 3.2 kilograms, per loaf. The bread of the presence consisted of 12 loaves arranged in two piles of six on top of the golden table. The loaves are also called the bread of the piles, the continual or regular bread, and holy bread. Their number seems to represent the 12 tribes of Israel whose provision is always before the face of God. So entrenched was the symbolism of the bread with the provision of God that it later became a saying in Jewish tradition that if one wanted material blessing, they should point their feet north when they prayed. The table of bread was oriented on the north side of the sanctuary. 
In First Chronicles, we learn that the Kohathite family of Levitical priests were tasked with the special service of baking the bread of the presence. Its shape, recipe, and arrangement became quite the center of later tradition. While most modern representations of the table of showbread are rather straightforward, a table with a golden rim around its top, modern Judaism has kept the tradition that the loaves were separated by golden reeds or rods, adding support to the unleavened bread. These are envisioned and depicted as movable shelves. To the table built during Moses' lifetime, the Bible tells that King Solomon added ten more to his Jerusalem temple. Ezra may also have had to remake a golden table after the Babylonian exile, and the apocryphal book of 1 Maccabees tells us that Simon Maccabee also had to make a new table after it was taken by an enemy king. Finally, the history of the table of showbread ends with its depiction on the Ark of Titus being carried off to Rome as booty after the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So I hope that you found that as interesting as I do. I mean, I really love looking into some of the deeper details here with the Bread of the Presence, particularly how it is uh, associated with God's provision. And, you know, the fact that it was replaced on Sabbath, so the Bread of the Presence, God's provision is connected with God's rest. And it's connected with the rest that God gave to his people. Uh, you know, and, and Israel taking on the Sabbath, you know, when you keep in mind where they came from, they had been a slave nation. And so now God brings them out and he gives them, he associates them with himself. Like me, you will now rest one day in seven and I will provide for your needs. So there's this beautiful message wrapped up in um, some of these ordinances that happened in the temple. And he says, I will provide for all of your needs. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important for them to hear and important for us to understand too in the scripture. Thank you, Corey. Very good. Janice? Well, today I called this unclean, unclean, because at the beginning of, of um, Numbers chapter 5, we're talking about ceremonially unclean persons being isolated. And this, you know, they weren't separated. They weren't banished from the sacred area. They, they needed to be separate from the sacred area of the community. Now, I liked Rod's statement off the beginning of the program that this should not be taken as a comment on their worth, but on their condition. And I look at us on, on this side of the cross, in living in New Testament times, where God is still concerned with the condition of who we are. We are, there is none who is clean. We are unclean. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ, it's only through the work that he did on the cross that we can attain being cleansed through Jesus' blood. And so we need the help of God's Holy Spirit in order to change our behavior. But going beyond that, there are some of you out there that, that have talked to me, that have written to us, that have determined in your hearts that you've gone too far, you've done too much, that God could ever accept you. And I want you to know today that that's simply not true. If you come to God in repentance and truly want to follow Him, he will give you the help of God's Holy Spirit to be able to enable you to do that. And it is a journey, but he will help you to do that. Now, the sobering thought here is with this condition, with this separating of those who were unclean, they had to be removed from that sacred area because 
what they had could be spread to other people. Very much the same with us and our attitudes and our opinions. What we determine, what we say, how we live, doesn't just affect us. What I choose to say and live and do doesn't just affect me. It affects everybody around me. And that is a very sobering thought. And so that's why it's so vital for us as followers of Jesus Christ to not take that lead, but to let Christ lead in our lives, to be able to read his word, to, to get it into our hearts so, and ask for his help that when we go through these different things in our lives and propensities that we have that we just shouldn't be hanging on to and that really affect the people around us in not a good way, we're not being a good influence in those areas, that God can help us to change so that we can do that. You remember, I was, I was thinking, because this is, we, we think about unclean, unclean, and I remember in scenes of Ben-Hur and in, and in the Ten Commandments where people would have leprosy and they would have to go around and cover their faces and say, unclean, unclean, and I used to, it break my heart as a little girl watching these movies. And I think, you know, God, Remember at the beginning where Moses was confronted by God in the burning bush and, and God was giving him examples. He was saying, well, how, how will the people know that, 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 I, that, that, that I've really seen you and that you've told me to do this? And he said, throw down your rod. And his rod became a snake and he picked it up. And when he picked it up, it became a rod again. And God said, I want to put your hand in next to your bosom. So he put it in his cloak and God said, pull it out. When he pulled it out, it, the scripture said it was white leprous, leprous, like white snow. And God said, it must have terrified him because all of a sudden he's looking at what had made him unclean, unclean. And God said, no, put it back. And he put it back in his cloak. And when God said to remove it again, it was cleansed. It was whole. And that's what God will do for us through his son, because none of us are clean. We are all unclean. We all have unrighteousness. But when we ask God to forgive us, he will cleanse us and he will forgive us of our sins. And we need to follow him. That's who our God is. I want to thank you for joining us today as we continue to study God's word. But I need to tell you, if you go to YouTube on the internet and look up Pastor Rod Hembry, you'll find our website and our, our site on YouTube. And there we have a brand new program called Beyond the Call, Testimonies of People. We're going to be releasing them. And uh, it's very exciting to do this. So make sure you subscribe to it and go there. Today, let's pray. Father, I want to confess my sin to you. Help me, Holy Spirit to follow you, amen.